Hello, beloved. I had some things to bring in and share with you. I think this will be a little bit of a shorter uh, transmission this morning. Um, and uh, I'm recording this on September 15th in the morning Pacific time. And so what I want to talk about is the reemergence of what may feel like the splinter energy, the trap energy, the interference energy, the shadow of the splinter trap energy is uh, showing itself. And you may experience it as a, a shadow or a, a kind of a memory or an echo or you may experience it as a kind of another attempt to recreate the trap energy that is sort of feels like a new um, a new attempt to recreate that. Uh, it doesn't exactly matter which story feels right to you. Remember that we have increasingly the kaleidoscopic experience, the kaleidoscopic multidimensional experience of beginning to simultaneously see things through the lenses of multiple dimensions at the same time. I said simultaneously, so that's a repetition, <laughs> but yeah. And so because of that, we can get a little bit confused as our uh, human mind tries to organize and bring that brain's superpower of, of, uh, uh, of pattern recognition and organizing of data into things. Now, the superpower can be really useful. I'm not saying to abandon it. I'm saying to understand that it can create periods of chaos or instability within you when you don't have a sense of understanding and you won't have a sense of understanding when new um, sort of perceptual windows open from different dimensions into the same experience that you're having now, right? Remember my, my analogy of the different dimensions as different stories in a tall building, all looking out on the same vista and from the different floors, aka dimensions, you're seeing, um, a different view and you're kind of, if you will, understanding that view that landscape differently based on the dimension, based on the floor that you're in. And we're in this period where for many of us, well, it doesn't matter for many of us, wherever we're at in our beginning to access our capacity for multidimensionality in our human form, in our awake awareness as a human, we're going to start having different views, different information will come in depending on that. And it can be a little chaotic because it's not like the floors or the dimensions open to you in any linear order. It's not like, oh yes, well now we have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and they go in that order. Not at all. We are all kind of hopping around where it's like, oh, bloop, now I'm having an eleven D view on this and it's giving me XYZ information and perspective and experience. And I love it. And now I'm having, you know, a six D view on this and it's giving me, you know, a whole other experience and kind of reorganizing every time we have the new experience. It re organizes our understanding our stories and uh and so it's important to kind of be aware of that so 
whatever dimensional perspective is uh, all are, I should say, because it's not singular, because there's many you might be having like simultaneously, you know, three, five, six, seven, ten, eleven, twelve, right? Like you could have all of those all at once, and that can be like, whoa, can give you a little bit of vertigo, um, and uh, <laughs> which would be totally natural, right? So be gentle with yourself, right? And watch out for that tree frog mind that we've talked about before, that kind of like overly kind of grippy, controlling tree frog mind. It's okay for your mind to not understand. Um, and while we are in human form, and I want to actually speak to this a little bit more than I thought I was going to. Sometimes people will tell you or you will hear what they're saying, including what I might be saying, as you're never going to understand and therefore you should stop trying. And if you want that experience, then please, by all means, go for it. But if you are highly gifted, and many of you are, if you're, because that's you know a core aspect of my work and my human is working with with people who are highly gifted, who have that brain that you gave yourself at birth that puts you in that top two percent around intellectual and creative potential, regardless of your schooling, regardless of whether your parents got it or not, regardless of any of that, regardless of whether you've ever felt like you've expressed any of that potential, it doesn't matter. You have that brain. And it's part of your kind of it, it 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 forms and shapes your version of this evolutionary journey in a very different way than others. And it is really it is really a key part of that journey to be able to use the, you know, pattern recognition superpower of the brain that's like, you know, times 100 for you versus the folks down the street and to be able to use that. And so when somebody tells you kind of across the board blanket, like, oh, you can't understand and your understanding is causing you pain. Sometimes that might be true in the moment, but putting it down for a moment doesn't mean that you can't pick it back up again. And also they just might be wrong. They might not understand that actually you are in a particular space where it is important for you to understand. It is necessary for you to kind of pop through to the next place in your journey that you've designed for yourself. And that's why you gave yourself this brain that's always questing to understand more and organize the and synthesize all the various different things that you're seeing into something new, right? So you have to hear within yourself what is right for you. And um, and to sort of understand that that's that that's valid, that that's valid. Everything's valid, of course, but particularly in this case. So this reemergence of sort of a shadow of the of the trap energy, the splinter energy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about energy that, uh, that was placed into humanity's collective codex to stop and prevent and place a cap or a ceiling on human evolution. And I've, this is in prior transmissions. So if you're feeling curiosity around any of this, please go back to those transmissions and you'll find both explanations and resources to support you in working with it. So this reemergence of this shadow 
the the kind of the visual that has been coming up for me and sort of pushing me into doing this transmission for you today comes from the Lord of the Rings movies, which, you know, I bring a lot of those visuals into you. And I apologize to those of you who listen who are like, hey, man, we're not Lord of the Rings fans. What the what? Too bad. Sorry. Um, but you can also just go on YouTube and sort of Google these scenes. and You don't have to understand the whole thing if you want to see the visual or you can just bring the energetic codes that I'm bringing through in my voice um, and bring that in. And it's OK. Right. You can just have this here. But so the visual that has been coming through really strong for me today that actually kind of pushed me into, oh, we got to go sit down and hit record and and share with um with the beautiful star beings uh, about this is this image of the Balrog when Gandalf and the Balrog are having this fight, right? And they come into the big fight and it looks like Gandalf has defeated him and cast him down into the depths. Um, and at the last moment, as Gandalf is sort of like, la ha ha, look at me all victorious and has turned away, the whip of the Balrog kind of comes snakes up out of the the darkness and grabs him by the ankle and pulls him down. And there's this kind of incredibly intense moment of him sort of like hanging off the ledge, like, oh, shit, (laughs) I fucked up. (laughs) And he's telling the rest of the fellowship to run, like, go, like, get the fuck out of here. Don't let my kind of death be in vain, so to speak. And he assumes that he's going to die, I believe, is how they characterized it in that moment in any event. And certainly his whole company believed that he had died. And he gets pulled down into the depths with the Balrog. And so this shadow of the splinter trap energy is whipping through uh, you, whipping through your field like the Balrog's whip, right? And it may grab your ankle like it did his and pull you down into the depths. Now, for those of you who know the story, what happens, we find later, after everybody's sort of mourned Gandalf and is just sort of devastated, and they haven't actually finished mourning, they're just kind of in devastation around it. Later, we find that Gandalf comes back And previously he was Gandalf the Grey. And for those of you who don't know who Gandalf is, I can't even believe that you're like, you must be living under a rock. But he is a huge wizard. Um, He's Gandalf the Grey before his battle with, with, and I don't mean that with anything but love, by the way. Um, Gandalf the Grey, he uh, comes back as Gandalf the White. And he even has a couple of scenes in the beginning of this where he's like, not 100% sort of seems like, I'm not absolutely clear who he really is like he's sort of like his memories of Gandalf his life as Gandalf the Grey there's sort of like a hmm I have sort of a vague idea that that occurred not really like okay you know and it all eventually comes back to him in terms of what's useful but this Gandalf the White story is essentially because he went through the battle and he describes that he you know fought with the enemy, fought with his enemy for millennia, for eons, out of time. And the fight went on and 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 on. And eventually he won and he comes back and he's Gandalf the White and blah, blah, blah. And then he sort of, the rest of the story continues from there. So the question to you is, can you return as your version of Gandalf the White? And in my last transmission, I shared a personal story of a sense of a kind of like tendril of the splinter energy that was in the left side of my foot and leg. And so refer back to that story 
um, as one version of how you might work with this. But today, what I want to share with you is that when you are in, you may have the experience of when you're in that battle of just being like, fuck it. I'm just tired of this. I don't want to be in this battle anymore. And the battle is whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. The battle, the battle is whatever's going on where you're like, oh, this pattern again. Oh, this problem again. This circumstance again. And you're just like, fuck it. I don't, why? I don't care. I just don't care. I'm so bored with this. Like, I'm, it's not even about like, I'm angry about it or I'm frustrated about it. I've had those experiences before. I've solved the problems. I thought the pattern was handled. I was completed with that experience. Why is it back? What am I even doing here? Why am I even doing this? And this apathy that may rise up and may feel overwhelming and irresistible This is what I want to talk about for a few moments is this apathy. This is really, really important. Now, it's usually going to be the case for us that when we experience apathy, we think of apathy as the symptom. And that we have to fight against it. And what I want to pose is that sometimes Feel into it for yourself because you need to develop the discernment on your own to tell when is apathy a symptom that you're going to be like, no, I reject that and I'm not dealing with that. I'm going to you know, focus on what lights me up and what delights me and that's what I'm going to do. And that is what I usually suggest that we do. But there are times and I want you to really feel into when this comes up, when it's true for you, when apathy, what if it is the cure instead of the symptom? Thinking about apathy as the medicine and the venom at the same time is what I want you to be thinking about here. So if apathy is the symptom that you're fighting and instead in this situation, it's actually the cure, what would that mean? What would apathy as medicine function like? It would want you to stop the battle. It would want you to disengage. In fact, it is. You are disengaging when you are in apathy. You're just like, I'm done with this battle. I don't care about this battle. Like, whatever. I'm out. I don't care about it. Not doing it. And it is you're stopping the battle. You're disengaging from the battle or whatever the kind of the fix or the fighting. So stop the reaching. Stop the trying to fix all of that. And the apathy medicine is help as medicine is helping you to release that kind of grasping for the the battle and within whatever the pattern is or the situation is or the circumstances or the battle is inherently by being in the battle you are creating more of the battle and that's what apathy wants to show you that the duality the polarity the fight when you engage in the fight you are then bringing more of the fight which is a maddening mental model. I want to just acknowledge like, ah! like it can be both like a, ah, when you kind of feel it, when you get it, when you're like grok it, when you're like, yeah, I get it. Then that can be hugely liberating. 
And there can be times when, when you're in the actual apathy and you're really in that deep apathy where you're like, oh, fuck, I don't fucking care. Nah, why? I don't even care about any mental models, right? <laughs> Which is perfect. So it wants you to see how you are hmm, consenting again and again and again to the trap in some ways. All right. And that you don't have to. Now, I've had the experience in the past many times of when kind of the sort of shadow stuff is coming around in whatever way that I just get automatically without my intent, my human awake awareness making a choice to do this, that I just get kind of cloistered, bubbled, bubbled up in some way that I've experienced as very protective. And I may even feel a sort of a, what I would think of as sort of a higher version of apathy, um, like the highest version of apathy in many ways, you might think of as like detachment. But what I want you to be aware of, remember I said about apathy being the medicine and the venom, and I want to thank my good friend who may be listening to this for bringing that phrase to me because he was like, oh, apathy is the medicine and the venom. And we were both like, what? Because we were both dealing with working through and bringing in some awareness on these pieces yesterday. And so this idea, remember that I said this, right? Apathy is the medicine and apathy is the venom. So apathy as the venom, sort of the lower version of apathy as the venom, can detach you from life force. And this is what you want to watch out for, is the way that apathy can tip over into nihilism, into kind of a false, another false, another, there's lots of false narratives on either sides. Again, it's sides, it's polarity, right? And so apathy itself can kind of push you off into one or the other of these, where you kind of get into um, this kind of nihilistic view of nothing exists, nothing is real, nothing matters, it's all an illusion, it's all a game. Mm, it, maybe it is all a game, but does nothing matter? These you get to choose, right? You can choose whatever experience that you want. And so if that appeals to you, then great, go with that. But if it doesn't really appeal to you or doesn't feel correct in your own discernment, and it, and I can tell you that it doesn't in mine, then what I want you to think about is the way that apathy as venom is turning you away, disconnecting you from life force itself, from the deep sacred current of life force itself. And Life exists. Life force exists. Whether you believe that or not, whether you exist or not, life force exists. And whatever your kind of kaleidoscopic dimensional viewpoint might be at any given point in time on this, you know, larger sort of journey, what are we doing? Is there a we? Is there just me and you're all just mirrors of me? Is there like, is, does none of this exist? Blah, blah, blah. Life force still exists no matter what. And I will stand for that. You don't have to believe me or agree with me. That's completely fine. But that is sort of like a stake that I will put in the ground. Um, and say that feels to me very much like an incontrovertible truth and maybe the only incontrovertible, controvertible truth that I've ever really stated or believed in that I feel is true across all dimensions. That's what I mean by that, because there are things that are absolute truths in certain dimensional viewpoints. Okay. So 
as you're playing, if you are, with apathy, how can you work with it from its higher version? And how can you just allow it to let you sink into life force? To just be like, I'm apathetic about all the rest of this. Everything else that I'm experiencing right now, I just don't give one hoot or holler about. It's like, whatever, I'm out, playa. And instead of sort of checking out for real, which would mean ending your life, which is, you know, always your choice, but also we can get into people making that choice when they're actually not of sound mind to do so, which is typically what's going on. Um, the the higher version of that apathy is to just be like, let me sink into, surrender into life force. And the visual that I keep having of this is of like sort of a of a of like a person kind of going into the water and sort of sinking down into the water with their arms open and kind of like, you know, if you were flat out, if you were stretched out entirely, then you would float. But this kind of like almost as if you've sort of fallen backwards intentionally, just let yourself kind of fall off the dock. But first, I'm going to try to find an image of this online because there's got to be an image of a fun image of this online. And you're kind of like your body's in sort of a V shape and you're just sort of going down into the water. Right. But the water not to drown. The water in this image is life force. Can you just sink into it and let it carry you and come into a different layer or experience of surrender into life force or communion with life force. Not in order to change the situation, not in order to end the apathy, not in order to fix whatever the thing is that kind of you know triggered you into the apathy state in the first place, just for its own sake. An even more pure communion with life force. An even more pure communion with life force is actually opening for you as this is occurring. And instead of being Gandalf, going down into the depths of Kazajum and being in the battle with the Balrog, you're just letting go of the battle, not engaging in the battle. You're just in a deeper communion with life force. And whenever is correct for you, you'll quote unquote come back up. And by come back up, I mean kind of come back into your human, your sense of yourself as your human self and your human experience. But you'll be at like a different level. I don't know how to like I don't know how to what I don't have other analogies other than like a game, like you bumped up in like the game level you know, um, uh, and now you're like playing at a different level or maybe wattage on a light bulb, like the light bulb, you know, that is within you. It's like now at a, at a brighter wattage um, or something. Um, but there's. And people may talk about these kinds of experiences as sort of initiations, going into the underworld, going into the shadow world. Like, again, all of these versions of experience and stories and language for them are fine and good. 
But sometimes the going into the underworld story can involve the battle. Like it's the Gandalf fighting the Balrog. And there are times when we are in the fight. I've been in the fight. Like I've had experiences where I am like fighting for my life and the life of the planet against dark magic. I've had those experiences. I'm not saying they're not real. I'm just saying that what I feel is going on right now for some of you that I feel to share in the transmission is there's an, a different experience and the marker of it is this apathy piece. And so if you're still listening, then you're that's true for you and you're like, or you're just curious. But the apathy piece is like, yeah, that apathy piece. And I want to differentiate apathy from boredom. Boredom is more of like a day-to-day thing in my kind of definitions of terminology, whereas apathy is a much deeper piece. And what I want to say a little bit more about kind of the human experience with apathy. So when we think of apathy as a symptom that we are fighting against and we're sort of seeking to understand it, grapple with it, get our arms around it, make it go away, you know, and we're really in the fight with it, the fight causes existential despair. And what we don't understand is that it's the fight that's causing the existential despair. We think that the apathy is causing the existential despair, but it's not. It's the fight. I can't break that down anymore for you. I, I, I feel some of you will want to, but I can't break it down any further. And the, the inner work to have the capacity to kind of work with that if you feel sort of stuck there is bigger than we can do in this transmission. Um, But I do feel that you can work with what I brought through here today if this is useful to you Uh, and just kind of stay with it, right? And kind of stay with it. And if you can stay connected to life force, that is, and you're like, and you're in a sense of like, I can't deal with that. I don't, I don't know. I'm thinking, ah, I'm going to drown. Like life force can be your raft if you need a raft through this, right? The life raft is life force. Get into communion with it. And you don't have to get into communion with it. The communion is always there. Simply allow it. Simply allow it. So and then allowing it makes me, reminds me that there was another element to this that I wanted to bring in. So some, uh, I think many have been having the experience of it's of, it's difficult to let any being and I'm speaking beyond just the human experience here any being other than our own being to bring in any kind of creation or resource for ourselves that we get into for various reasons in our kind of cosmic origin stories if you will we get into these uh, kind of scenarios internally where it's like, no, no, I can't trust what anybody else is bringing into me. And there are many different reasons or kind of narratives related to that. I'm only going to speak to one in this moment. And that is the idea or the, the, the kind of the belief that only that I can't trust what anybody else brings in to have the degree of purity or integrity that I require. And I don't trust that because I previously, in some other experience, 
allowed other resource to come in and it was lower integrity and it kind of polluted or contaminated me and my experience in some way that was significant enough that I then kind of erected this like, okay, only me. And this is, I think, a very common specific version um, of this experience energetically for highly gifted people. And one of the reasons to give yourself that highly gifted brain is to work through some of these things. And so as a result, one of the kind of the common experiences of highly gifted humans is if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And all the variations that fall off of that, the kind of flow off of that around sort of like, oh, I've got to do it myself. And then we get into all the sort of sacrifice or martyr stuff. We get into the I can't delegate. I can't ask for help. Again, million different kind of access points into those pieces that we're not discussing today. But this idea of I can't let or allow um, resource to come in that isn't created by me is a huge limiter. Even if you're just like a massive cosmic being here in human form and you have some very significant awareness of that already in your human, that your cosmic is barely integrated into your human and you have this awareness and you've been kind of enjoying, you know, your power, your capacity, your bigness, etc. If only you can generate for you. Then. You always have to be the one doing and or being or making or whatever, right? There's no collaboration. There's no co-creation. There's no true communion with other expressions of life force. You being one expression of life force throughout all of your lives. And so you're very limited and you're very isolated as a result of this. And so if your patterns involve kind of bumping up against lack in some way, this may be really relevant for you. And I want to thank another friend of mine who a couple of days ago we were talking about this and, and uh, as a result of some different kinds of interactions about that, I was able to see this piece um, uh, for myself. And and I want to make it clear, like, I'm not just bringing this, this particular transmission through as a like, oh, hey, you might be dealing with this. That's often the case that what that's what I'm doing. So you're used to that. But in this case, I've been kind of dealing with my own version of this. And as a result of kind of coming kind of up and out from it, I'm guided very strongly, like guided is the wrong word as if it's happening on the outside, but I'm like compelled, uh, compelled is the wrong word as well. Words really matter. There's, there's a refinement around words that really matter. And I want to talk about that in a minute because that was, that was in my mind to bring to you today as well. But I was like impelled. I, I re, I was really desirous. It was really important to me to my cosmic self was like, bring it through, bring it through, bring it through. This is a mechanism for anchoring and then sending out these huge new kind of master frequency codes that are being created right now. And just like, right, big look sort of beautiful golden shockwave around the planet for everyone with this as everyone's working with this at different levels. So, okay, so words. So one of the things around words that has come up that I, I want to bring into your attention, many of you, probably all of you, um, like me are very 
connected or want to be connected to earth as a being and you align with or resonate with the the things that I speak about around our shift as a society, as humanity, away from extractive relationship uh, with everything, including ourselves, away away from that into regenerative. And what that looks like in terms of how humans are accessing resources from the earth to use for powering things in various ways. And then the discussions and the debates uh, around um, the environmental impacts of that extractive approach instead of a regenerative approach. And the environmental impacts we see in a variety of different ways. And one of the responses to this has been um, is, has been we have language now being used in kind of a global way that uh, I wasn't actually aware of because of how un, kind of unplugged from what's been happening um, in, you know, kind of the various sort of human ways, human levels for like a good two and a half years now, maybe three. Um, but. And so maybe this language has been around longer, but I don't know. It feels it feels like it got stronger recently. This idea of a war on carbon. And there is a model in the science around what's going on with climate and environment that the carbon output from uh, our extractive actions is the most sort of important or highest leverage place to kind of restore wellness to earth and environment and all of the natural world that is on earth and natural world being essentially everything other than man-made artificial uh items and so remembering humans are part of the natural world humans are not part of the artificial man-made world humans make that are not part of it and I'm not going to get into any, what should we be doing? Because that's, again, we go back to the kaleidoscopic multidimensional viewpoint on all of that. Um, what I want to share is that I hope that you will reject and diminish language that talks about a war on carbon. Because you are carbon. Earth's. All of Earth's life forms are carbon based. And words matter. Words are spells. And we must cast wisely. And if we consent to a language that says we are engaged actively in a war on life, then we let the shadow energy, we let the trap energy, we let the splinter energy, we let the interference energy back in. We consent to it returning after we have removed it, which is like, what the fuck, right? Also, it will not, by doing that, it gives it more power and it will actually prevent the restoration that we seek of health and beauty and wellness for all of the natural world, for the planet and for all the beings that live here, of which humanity is one tiny little piece. Words matter. 
reject a war on carbon. Now you could say just anything that's war on anything. I'm, I'm not here for that, right? Because war energy is very problematic and very dense. Um, and so that would be just one way to kind of get around it. But I want you to think about it as you're out there hearing language. And many of you I know are strong environmental activists and I get it and I'm with you, um, in spirit around this and have been myself. Um, in my kind of human actions out in the world, very strongly attached to kind of environmental activism in many different ways. Anything that is a war on carbon, like that word, I'm not saying that we can't be engaged in technologies that we are wisely developing that may support a kind of a rebalancing around carbon, but that's not actually the answer, I don't feel, technologically speaking. And it's a distraction. It's a sleight of hand that pulls your attention and all of the resources and all of the activism away from what's really going on at the root of it, which is this extractive philosophy, this extractive practices. And to not be in a sacred co-creational relationship with the expressions of life force that are here in our natural world where we essentially, how do we ask permission, right? Ask permission. Very important. Very important. Okay. Um, I might speak about this more later, but I want to bring uh, about this next thing. But I want to bring this last little piece in for you. And this is about apex timelines and apex predators. And um, please refer back to the episode that I gave you around apex timelines. Um, if you don't know what I'm when I talk about apex timelines, because I'm not going to unpack that all here. And, and I gave you a really great piece on that. But if you are in your if you are in your apex timeline, by which I mean, you know, put put simply that your cosmic self has essentially designated that for now your human experience and timeline here is essentially the leader of all of its expressions, all of its life. And think about, again, that sphere of life and the different uh, kind of life, lives and experiences that your cosmic self is having all at the same time. Remember, time is a sphere, not a line. We just think of it as a line because we're in heavier dimensions. Um, and so if you're in your apex timeline and you have that sense of, oh, I have to lead the way, not have to, I've chosen to lead the way and, and, and I wouldn't be in my apex timeline if I wasn't able to do it. You wouldn't be asked to be, for your human to be your apex, if you, for your cosmic apex, if you weren't capable of it. So it might be confusing and it might be weird at times, but you're ready. If you have awareness of that, it's you're ready and you're doing it. And but what it means is that there really isn't. You have to lead the way. Right. You have to lead the way. And the and and some of you who heard me in my first share about apex timelines, because there's been a couple of them, I kind of struggled with. Hmm. Is that really like the word that I want to use? Apex thinks that, like for, for me, that word is so tied to this idea of apex predator. And do I really want to kind of invoke that? And I struggled with that briefly. And then, you know, within like a day or two, I was like, nope, that's what our, that's correct. That is the correct words. And I'll understand more about that later. Here's what I understand about it now. The apex predator has a lot to teach you. The apex predators in the natural world. And there's some debate about whether or not humanity is an apex predator or not in the scientific community. And generally that's resolved by saying that because of the you know intellectual capacity to create tools and weapons and blah, 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 therefore it is whatever. We can put that to the side. 
I want you to think about other apex predators in the world, in the natural world, and how do they live? How do they function? Our kind of entertainment media stories have taught us that predators are bad, have taught us to hate apex predators or to be afraid of them. Right. The movie Jaws, which is a fucking great movie. I love that movie. But the movie Jaws really like turned us away from the great white shark. Many different stories exist that turn us away from bears or wolves. Right. These are all apex predators that it's like, oh, no, they're bad. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad. Put them away. That is a feature of interference energy. That does not want you to come into relationship with the wisdom of that leader in its ecosystem. The apex predator is, is a leader in its ecosystem. It only kills what it needs to survive and not survive in like, you know, I'm not talking about like survive is the wrong word, but it only kills what it needs. And it doesn't kill mindlessly and it doesn't kill for the satisfaction of killing. Humans do that. Other beings in the natural world don't do that. And the apex predator's killing in its ecosystem is what keeps order and allows a correct flow of life force to occur in that ecosystem. And we see ecosystems get super messed up when there's an imbalance in that way. I was just reading the other day about kind of deer on Maui, I believe, that was introduced into that environment that didn't belong there. And there's no natural predator uh, there for them. And as a result, there's been massive devastation because the deer have just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And they're just like, hey, we're just hanging out. We're just like eating all the things and doing all the things and walking around. It's completely destructive to that ecosystem because there's no natural predator. And so and there's a million stories that are like that around the planet. Apologies for background noise, um, if you're hearing any of that. There's just some outside background noise right here at the moment. So the apex predator has so much to teach you at this time, if you are in your apex timeline. It wants to teach you how to be a wise steward of the ecosystem that you are in. And it wants to teach you that you only need to take what you need. This kind of hoarding mentality of I got to take, I got to take, I got to take, I got to have a whole bunch more, I got to have a bunch more, I got to accumulate. This is extractive philosophy. Give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more, let me hoard it away. <laughs> right? Like, no, just take what you need. There's plenty. There's plenty. There's so much. There's plenty for everyone. So feel more into the apex predators wisdom for you an apex predator energy the other thing about the apex predators energy and i've spoken about great white shark energy before several times because that's very important energy to me but the apex predator energy there's a there's a lot of different kind of components to it that are really important and that tie into this discussion that we had earlier about apathy right the apex predator like doesn't give a shit the apex predator is like whatever i'm doing my thing all this other noise, hubbub, drama is irrelevant to me because I'm going to do my thing. 
you know, I'm the bear and I'm going to go into the stream and I'm going to grab the salmon. I'm the, you know, great white shark and I'm going to swim the oceans and I'm going to eat what I need to eat and I'm going to keep on moving. And, you know, I'm the wolf and I'm going to do the stuff, right? Like whatever, it doesn't matter. So there's this just all the stuff that's below the apex, if you will, is irrelevant to it. Like, I don't care. As long as that ecosystem remains sound, the apex predator is also not solely responsible for that ecosystem remaining sound or remaining in balance. And so back to what I said earlier about this idea of only you, you have to do it all yourself, right? So I hope this opens things for you. I hope this lets some things kind of flower and bloom inside you or even just tiny little tendrils you know, like ferns and how they, those beautiful fronds, as they just get started and they just begin to kind of like open and unfurl. And um, I know that it has been a intense time with these energies. It has been a lot. And I told you, I warned myself and all of us <laughs> that we were in this big refining period. And by refining, I mean like the kinds of things are coming back up in order to support us to kind of bump up to the next level of, you know, quote unquote, playing the game. And, and that's what it's doing. And we have this period that we're in leading up to the uh, fall equinox um, or spring, the spring, September equinox is what I'm going to call it because depending on your hemisphere, maybe the spring equinox. Um, but this September 23rd is you know, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, because depending on kind of where you're at and whatnot, and these things aren't like, boom, for everybody, you know, um, this is a huge inflection point, huge inflection point. And if you're have wherever you're at, whatever you're experiencing right now, I want you to understand, like, whether it's amazing or it's rough, it doesn't matter the quality of it. Whatever you're experiencing is preparing you to essentially be able to handle that inflection point. So you may be feeling a sort of like, it may start to feel, particularly as we get closer, that kind of like gathering in, crouching in, getting ready for the big giant leap, you know, that kind of vibe, like you're on the diving board and you're kind of like going down before you dive off, right? Dive up and off. Um, there may be a sense of kind of things kind of coalescing in, coalescing in that may not be here yet for you. Um, or it may be there in moments, but then it goes away again. And you're like, wait, did I lose it? No, you did not lose it. Just keep on when in doubt, come more into your communion, surrender into your communion with life force. And just float in that float in it, float, float, float. And really, when you're in that really deep kind of floating communion with life force, that is the slipstream that I've spoken about before. And the streams flow can vary depending on kind of where you're at. So sometimes the slipstream is just zoop, carrying you right along at rapid speed and rapid pace. And we love that. Like, that feels fantastic. That's like, that's what I'm here for. I signed up for that. But we may have moments where it's like, oh whoops, the slipstream just like went into this really interesting kind of little eddy spot where the waters are swirling around or they're very still and there's no movement. It'll move again. Life force always does. All right, beloved. 
Thank you so much for your light in the world. I love you. Hmm? Keep going. Keep being is better than keep going. Just be. Enjoy your beingness. Mwah. <laughs>